0: Today, on The Terrible Warriors, we meet the makers, where we get to sit down and chat with the people who make the games we like to play. And today, we connect with Patty and Aled from Leyline Press to learn all about their Kickstarter for a Mothership module entitled Andromeda. You'll learn all about how this scrappy new company went from an idea concocted after a dark night in the woods all the way to the glamorous photo shoot with their game in a bathtub. But first, this is Meet the Makers, and I love to get to know why they do what they do and how they came to enjoy this hobby. First up, you'll hear from Aled, and then the next voice will be Pannies, as I began to ask them both how they came to get sucked into this world of tabletop RPGs.
1: For me, I think um, it started just because I don't think I've 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 always made stuff for RPGs. So it started for us or um, well, for me when I was uh, ten. Um, so uh, we were sort of into 40K, you know, Games Workshop, all that sort of stuff. And um, you know, I was sort of sleeping over at a friend's house, and then it was just like oh, you know, like, obviously we can't really play 40k now because it's like, you know, his parents have gone to bed and stuff, but it's like, we can still hang out. And like, so we were like, right, okay, well, let's just start sort of telling stories. And we just use like 40k stat lines and um, we just made up rules and it was just like simple D6 systems. And, uh, you know, the, those were some of, I think it's generally the best campaigns I've ever run. Um, but, you know, yeah. And we just sort of stay up really late um, kind of playing that. So I think, you know, with, with that, I've, and just generally... Every game I've ever played has been homebrew to some extent or another. So it's it's just sort of a natural part of playing RPGs for me is, is actually making stuff for it.
0: Uh, you just you sparked a memory of the first time I was playing uh, my friend's older brother was running a 3.5 DD game for us. And yeah. I mean, he might've been playing off of the rules. What do I know? I was like in grade nine, I'm 14, 13 years old, and I don't know the rules of this game. So I'm just leaning on him. If it was homebrew or official, it wouldn't have made any difference. What the matter was is he was running a game for us and telling a story and we were being pulled into that. And it was uh, uh, it was addictive being not just part of a presentation, but being pulled into that experience at the same time. And whether it was yeah. the official Dungeons and Dragons rules or whether he was literally making it up as he went along. And I think it was the it latter. Didn't really, it didn't matter. It didn't really matter. I, was, I was completely yeah, ignorant of know, the rules. Yeah. So it, it wouldn't matter where it was coming from. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah. And um,
1: that was kind of the thing for me. Like, um, you know, it's uh, it was just about something to pass the time really. And we had so much time as well, um, which was the incredible thing. You know, it's like you're 10 years old, you've literally got all weekend and then it's like, right. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's run a sort of, you know, 18 hour session and uh <laughs> i don't know how we used to do it yeah no i know
2: um yeah i mean likewise i had quite a um similar route into the tabletop world uh through games workshop and warhammer 40k when i was about uh, nine years old or so as well um and I think to give a bit of context to that um, within the UK, I think that was probably a quite common route um, for a lot of players, um, simply because uh, Games Workshop's marketing, especially in the 90s when I was um, starting to get involved in the hobby, um, was through their like multiple retail store outlets. And, you know, your mum would take you to the shops to um, and uh, go to the shopping centre, and you'd go past a shop with loads of like cool miniatures and sci fi and huge Hulking Space Marines aliens, and then to go
0: have a look. I think there's also more of a tradition of wargaming in the UK as well with uh, either in its roots as like historical wargaming with miniatures of either retelling uh, old battles of Waterloo or going through World War II history like there was that was already kind of more, um, more mature and established in the UK than it would be over here in North America.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, yeah, no, that is the case. Yeah, there was. um
1: uh, I, th- I think the other thing is though, like while that existed, it wasn't exactly like big, you know. I mean, you, the, the the key thing I think. Oh no, it was like the here, way the,
0: small mini the, trains was big. Like it was, it was. Yeah, part of that. This is
1: the thing though. Like what we're trying to get across is Games Workshop was huge. Like you know, they had a store on every high street. Oh, I see. Like, yeah. they were just pocket money magnets, right? And I don't know many people of my age who didn't at some point collect Warhammer. Like at some point in their childhood, like I would say, like, and obviously, I know it skews nerdy, like my friend group, but, um, you know, even, even, but it was really a breakout
0: success. It would, it really crossed over into becoming much more mainstream.
1: Like everyone at school had one or two minis, right? Like, you know, at least, you know, or had played
0: at someone else's house. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. So um, early 90s and, over yeah. here, it was just Pogs. <laughs> yeah, we, we had those. We had those, too. Well, and <laughs> and collectible cards, I guess magic, magic and uh, like Pokemon cards, card gaming, yeah. collectible card gaming would have been like the big one that broke out. Less because we didn't have a Games Workshop in every corner, but you could go to a 7-Eleven and you could buy booster packs yeah all the time. And so that's that. That really took off. Um,
2: yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I hadn't considered it, but technically, I suppose I did start playing uh, Pokemon cards before I got into Warhammer, which sort of counts as a um, tabletop thing. <laughs> um, same with like Magic: The Gathering. Um, but I think the key thing for me, and in terms of how it eventually led to perhaps this, was uh, I know I was always a kid who actually like read the rules. Like, um, so like I remember when we were playing Pokemon at school, um everyone would just play like top trumps, effectively. <laughs> like, um, oh, so yeah. you just like yeah, the, your top one, yeah. whatever was the best. Ba- it, it there were no rules out. for. Pog.
0: everyone was making it up (laughs) everyone was fleecing everybody on the playground Uh, you yeah no i i I super i
1: actually got detention for like winning pogs off a kid and then he (laughs) moaned like and i won those (laughs) he was even using like metal flippers and all sorts and i was like right okay fine but i still won them and then he was really really pissed off so he just went in the
0: the same way that i think tiktok and snapchat have been appealing in this generation our gen like pog was Was appealing because it was incomprehensible especially to the adults around us and especially to the kids that were a little bit younger or a little bit older uh if you knew what you were doing you were just running a con game all around you
1: (laughs) right yeah it's like a racket right
2: yeah, but um, I suppose that eventually uh, veering back towards tabletop role-playing games um, got me into D&D when I was personally, when I was about 16, I got into fourth edition D&D, which, um, and I've sort of gone backwards really, because I've gone from sort of more modern editions, fourth, which was um, quite controversial in that respect, um, and then sort of slowly crawled back from, I started playing like 3.5 after that, and then um, worked my way into playing like old school D&D, like and basic and expert. And of which that whole sort of old school gaming movement has gone to inspire games like uh sure.
0: <laughs> yeah so, so going into that what was it about um the role playing part of tabletop games that got you away from that numbers game that 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 cards and and war games can become uh to to like mothership is a story game so where what was it that brought you into the story side of of tabletop
1: so um I mean, like yeah, I guess for me it was always I mean it was it was always just about you know the the narrative. it was just about telling the story like you know um, uh, because we literally paid on scraps of paper with like scribbles. I mean I, I never I've never actually played or um, uh, growing up, not until after I got into the industry, I had never played 5 Um and I think I played like a D and d second edition like a couple of sessions. like that was it. I'd never really played any D and d like at all um i played a little bit of vampire and that was i think kind of it really for like proper role gaming systems so i've i've never really been sort of too concerned with rules and their effects i guess it's just like right okay i just put together a stat line that's all you need really and then so you i don't know you just you just need to roll some dice when things aren't certain but other than that you're just kind of you know rping it i guess um is kind of how i've always just played by default i think mm-hmm um so yeah that that's that's kind of how i guess i've ended up now now down here because obviously having bled played some 5e and then it plays out very differently to kind of how my experience kind of growing up was um so if that makes sense
0: a lot more things in 5e are codified Every movement yeah. you do, every choice you have, whether it be social, combat, exploring, investigate, everything now yeah. has a code and a rule that's been assigned to it because the, the game's had like 30-plus years to develop all yeah. of these variations. Exactly. Yeah. So even though you have freedom to choose and move and interact, the GM is more often going to be like, all right, well, give me another role on this because there's some uncertainty. Yeah. And, and you're much more having to kind of split your brain between telling a story and and also navigating the uh the rules the game part of the game
1: yeah that, that's why i sort of also recuse myself a bit from the writing sometimes and uh so let's let penny just make it work and um you know i just focus on like you know making it look nice <laughs>
0: so, so moving more into the professional side penny i know you uh Historically, there's someone who helped me on the PR side with arranging interviews on this podcast in the past. So this is really fun to bring you from behind the scenes right up onto the front and have you on the show. Uh, How has that been like to transition from someone who was working in that more support role? Really important. There's so many people in the tabletop industry that go completely unmentioned uh, who are uh, doing the accounting and the booking and the communications behind the scenes. What has it been like now moving from that PR role to running and founding this this new company and, and now having this game that you're talking about here on the show today?
2: Um, yeah, I guess I'm, uh, living the dream now, uh, for real. um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been lucky to get, um, like a lot of, um, actual. Um, industry experience, um, even like working um, behind the scenes, and I've been very fortunate in that respect. Um, because most people don't get to work in the tabletop industry in any sort of professional capacity, um, so I've been very fortunate there to be able to do that and to um, make links and um, connections. I have, and um, and very much, um, and I'm sort of very much now using that um, that acquired um, skill set um, along with like I've tended most of my jobs. I've tended to be within sort of the media and um, PR industry, um, and I've. I sort of just done tabletop as a hobby as many folk do. And then yeah, just sort of transitioning um into I don't know, it's been um I mean it's been a fruitful sort of good, fun transitionary process really. Like it's nice to be able to um be producing my own stuff and um, promoting um promoting that. It just just feels good. I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm very happy
0: at the moment in a <laughs> simple sense.
2: Um and but just feeling very lucky as well to be able to do a um yeah.
0: That's terrific. Yeah, because th- this industry is a lot smaller than I think listeners of actual play podcasts realize. It's uh, uh it is it, it, even even when we're dealing with with the Wizards of the Coast side, even that compared to other gaming industries, it's still quite um uh, intimate <laughs> in its size of, of yeah. people that are involved and uh, and the actual. Uh, in terms of paying jobs that are also available, there's so many games that we've played here on the show that are for all intents, passion projects or part time projects that other people have put out, but they still have to have another life that they live uh just to just to make it work this is this is not an an easy business to 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 crack leyline press you reached out to me about. Andromeda. And that's what we're really here talking about. So right, the introduction is important. I want to get to know you, but I also really wanted to get to know Andromeda about this. So you sent me some pictures in the, the press release. It sounds really cool. It's a module of Mothership, as we mentioned a little bit briefly about, about that. So, I mean, take me through the origin story here of Andromeda. How, how have we ended up here talking about this game and, and why having a module for Mothership, why choosing that particular setting uh, as, as, your, uh, as your anchor?
1: So Mothership kind of came about, um, it's, um, I, I actually play a lot of RPGs with people who don't play RPGs. Um, so um, this, this came about because um, basically a friend of mine and another friend of mine were going camping in the woods. And um, uh, one of my friends who played a, couple of sessions with me like one shots and stuff like that was kind of like um oh yeah you know um can can you like you know can you run something like you know because we're out camping in the woods like there's nothing to do at night so it's like you know it's like being a kid again right you just kind of sat around it's like what do we do um so i was like oh yeah sure you know and um his friend hadn't really like played anything before and um so i was kind of like right okay well you know i'll scribble up some maps on the train up there and um you know i guess like you know i'll just run a thing i'd recently played um it's actually Alien, um, but the Charity of the Gods uh, module from yeah. uh, Alien. And um, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, so some sci fi horror. I know, like, he's really into um, uh, Alien and Aliens, uh, both of them are. So I thought, oh, yeah, you know, that'll capture uh, their attention more maybe than something fantasy. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, scribbled it up and then. Kind of ran it and uh, played it, really enjoyed it. Um, I ran it in Mothership because um, uh, it's easy um, to pick up. So it's kind of like, you know, there's three core cool stats, right? So, like, you know, it just makes it quite simple. Um, you just need, like, the D100, so I only had to take two dice with me. I didn't have to take, like, you know, a whole box of dice because we were backpacking. So, you know, I just wanted something <laughs> yeah, light. like, you know, You, you can can just, can't like, bring Mothership your whole tabletop with you, yeah. Yeah. So Mothership's like just a tiny book. So I just took the Mothership book with me and I was like, okay, that's all I need. Yes. Yeah, so then it was really good. And then I came back and um, I was kind of, cause I was out there in the woods and I was kind of like, I had all these maps and I was kind of shining a torch on them. I was kind of like, oh yeah, it'd be like really cool because it was really dark. Right. And I was like, this would be really cool if this was actually like glowing. And then anyway, I got um, the juices flowing. So, you know, it's kind of, um, I do a lot of risograph printing. Uh, we do a lot of, printing on risograph and um so they have this fluorescent green ink and um, i saw a sample of fluorescent green ink on a black embossed paper and it it just looked like you know like scan lines on a tv kind of thing on a green screen tv and i was like right yeah that's i've got to make that work it looks like like the menu in
0: fallout but in real life it's really striking (laughs) it really pops and it doesn't look it doesn't look natural like you're you you have the pictures here this page you know i'm like this, this, it looks weird. Yeah. It looks very um, otherworldly in a way. It looks, it yeah, looks Those, those photos, those valley, photos are completely
1: unfiltered actually yeah. and edited as well. Those are actually just photos. I mean, they're actually from my bath, <laughs> um, the, the white background ones. Like baths make great, like, it's, um, it's locations a perfect for base lighting. Photo. That white porcelain. Yeah, because you've just got yeah. the curve. Right. White, white porcelain, completely curved. Like, yeah, it's great.
0: So you're out in the woods and you just needed something that could glow in the dark and then that set your brain going and you started working with uh, with this so, and, then, and then before you know it, you're taking pictures of your new game in a bathtub.
1: Yeah, so um, basically what, what happened then is I kind of bought it back and um, uh, obviously it was like really, really rushed and terrible. Um, so I was like, um, uh, Penny, so I've got this outline. Like, what do you think? Then Penny was like, yeah, no, that'd be great. But how about we change everything? And I rewrite it like this and wouldn't that be better? And I was like, yeah, no, that, that would be great. This is a great idea, <laughs> um, but consider and,
0: uh, what if we changed everything?
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was the broad gist of my, um, re-picture, um, Andromeda. So, so Penny, like, I-
0: then your perspective, what was it here that Alad actually brought to you? And, uh, and yet... Yes, we're changing everything but something um hooked you in to to agree to work on this.
2: Uh yes, I mean the the hugely beautiful shiny glowing map. <laughs> <laughs> um was uh, probably the um the main draw and i also just like the um i like working in a limited um amount of space and these sort of um pamphlet um modules um are really good for that because i feel you um you exercise a lot of your design muscles when you're like um quite
0: constrained yeah um to a very specific format some of the best games i've played in the last year are one page rpgs yeah. where you're you know like that that designing in a box like that uh can be really um really interesting what people come up with
2: yeah, yeah exactly so and um i mean I've, and I've been playing mothership um for a while now so i run a um, like old school um gaming meet in london and i was running that uh in the before time so and we ran and played uh run and played mothership um then for the first time um and it's just a um really cool um system it uses a lot of like um you know core um as it were like osr design principles like um emergent play um like high lethality um and um like um a lot of um like weird randomization um and open sort of sandbox gameplay and then just combines that with like all this really classic like science fiction um horror before
0: i dive uh- a little deeper in can you help explain just very briefly what osr is because young terrible warriors we we don't really we haven't really dived into that it's mostly been powered by apocalypse or like systems like 2d20 from modifius or or uh the uh year end engine from free league osr gets mentioned but i worry that um it becomes this like encryption code <laughs> that not every <laughs> listener knows what that actually is sure yeah um so older uh, osr
2: uh, ostensibly stands for uh, either old school renaissance or old school revival um, depending on uh, who you ask um, and um, it typically um, refers to games that have been uh, inspired by the um, original editions of um, dD so that's like uh, original d d um, and the basic and expert line of um, dD um, set which was like the red and blue box that you got in the um, 1980s um, mm-hmm.
0: it, my stanley little editors and note for our listener Morkborg that we did previously on a session zero it's also an OSR inspired yeah. setting yeah if you're looking for a comparison of what we're talking about today um
2: no exactly so Morkborg's a um, good example of I suppose what you'd call like a uh, maybe a new um, wave-esque OSR games. So like some OSR games, like for example, Old School Essentials um, are um, pretty much faithful recreations of those um, original rule sets, but um, done in a way that's a bit more easier for a modern audience. Dungeon Crawl Uh, Classic
0: falls under this
2: category as well, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Dungeon Crawl Classic is another retro clone, right? (laughs) Yeah, DCC.
2: So for things like DCC and Morkborg actually, they are like inspired by those um, rules, but then they take them in like wild um, and interesting and innovative um, new directions. CC uses like some um, like a whole new dice system which can go up to like D24s and D26s mm-hmm. and has loads of cool critical hit tables um, and Borg has that whole like black metal aesthetic.
0: When you start stripping everything right back to the bone, all of a sudden you can do anything when you start adding meat onto it because you're going right back to these basics and then it's just a little bit of salt and pepper and it's a completely new game.
1: Yeah, right. Like, I mean, I mean, for me, like if I was distilling OSR down to like its basics, it's like it's your six six stats like 3d6 down the line right like d20 and like it's just key that you have like lots of tables and that emergent narrative and like exploration matters, high lethality matters. Like you know, it's, and it's fast. And it's fast, yeah. And
0: you're not going to get bogged down with uh, an hour long combat in a single room before yeah. you move on to the net. Like it's, boom, a couple dice rolls, and you yeah. have to live or you're dead.
1: Which is which I, I love that actually for narrative as well. Which like I guess it's why if I'm going to play D D it'll be like OSE or it'll be, um, I mean, I'm actually running forbidden lands at the moment as well. Cause, um, I, I really like that, but, um, cause I like that cause it's kind of a crossover in a way, but I mean, I like it just cause it, it lets me keep the pacing going. And, um, yeah. I like pacing, I think is just so important, especially, but then, you know, everyone kind of, I know kind of likes playing D D rather than like PBTA or something like that. So, Um, Yeah,
0: I mean, we're doing Simbaroom on the podcast this season. And uh, today that you and I are talking is our episode one just got launched. The half of that episode is fighting the the last half hour. And any other year doing this podcast, I would have cringed at like, oh, no, we did did 30 minutes of actual play content of us just doing a combat encounter. But there was something about that setting because I guess the GM doesn't roll any dice and everything's moving faster and the lethality is so much higher that every single dice roll was moving the story forward anyways yeah. and it didn't
1: yeah everything mattered. didn't
0: slow us down it still worked everything mattered.
1: Yeah. Uh, the other thing I like about that Sawyer so Zero engine um, for me is um, just because um, when players make those decisions and they roll those dice they roll the damage on themselves right like so yeah. um there's always i know it's it's it doesn't really make a mechanical difference but from a sort of psychological perspective it's like oh no i oh, yeah. I've, I've just played myself like it doesn't feel like the dm is punishing you
0: yeah because you don't have a health bar in forbidden lands yeah. you just have your like your strength stat and as you're taking damage your strength stat is literally vanishing in front of you and the pool of dice in your hand is getting smaller and smaller yeah. there's a uh, it's a very it's a it's a meta visceral translation of, I am getting weaker. Yeah. I can actually feel the dice falling through the fingers, uh, the, the cracks in my fingers. And that has a real effect of that sense of dread. Now, now Setting up that the definition of OSR was important for my actual question, because today on Twitter there was a discourse happening on how do you do horror in OSR? And there was a debate between whether or not you even can, because of the way the rules are. Now, I'm assuming with Mothership and with Andromeda that this is not, this is, you you're touching in that like alien style of space horror how do you feel about osr and horror i I think i already know what the answer here
2: i mean yeah so like I i mean i was about to um quite make this point um but like osr games are like perfectly suited to horror like almost i mean i don't think necessarily intentionally but those like um, elements of that basic d and rules set of like um, high lethality like your character can just die from like one hit um, and um, that sort of emergent play where you have to like make make these decisions which when put in like a horrifying yeah. situation gets really tense because you know that like you can turn a corner and there can be something horrific there and your decisions do actually um, matter because you're vulnerable and the GM is not going to just you know fudge the dice and um, let you um, let you get away with um, you know resource resource management as yeah. well right? Right. And like, then, like, resource management, yeah, yeah. Um, survival,
1: um, or, yeah. and... Run, run out of torches, like, yeah, good yeah. luck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah.
0: Yeah, the, 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 there's only so much the GM can save you from in that. There's yeah. very little safety net. They're like, well, I mean, it's there on the table. I can't yeah. save you mm-hmm. from yourselves. Um, um, yeah, and then the, Mothership
1: like, as well.
2: Yeah, so... so yeah, yeah, like Mothership sort of, yeah, adds to that. So it, um, it it I think, yeah, it picked up on the fact that these sort of OSR rule sets are actually well-suited to horror. Um, they tend to have like a low power level as well. Like even in the old school D&D stuff, like your wizard had like one spell at first level and it was often randomly determined and, and it was just like yeah. good luck from there.
0: And
1: likewise in Mothership... That's
0: something I noticed in Morkborg, you have like three hit points yeah. and that would be a lot of hit points. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, D6 damage. Like, um, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Um yeah just just always keep a stable of characters right um, <laughs> yeah you need to um, have
0: a stack that you've generated in advance yeah. because you're this time i'm only fighting with a femur bone yeah. and uh, why we <laughs> always that, that's why much. there's loads of
1: npcs in andromeda as well because like it, you have to have loads of npcs in there so that you know when the player characters die there's like right okay yeah we can just now you're him or her or them you know um it's just uh yeah you just take over um characters that are in the background of those npcs now become new characters but
0: yeah the experience isn't the story that your character is telling the experience is he the knows. story that the table is telling exactly, collectively yeah. as players yeah. from that let's move into andromeda paint paint the picture for me if i back this and uh, i get a copy of this game and i'm playing it with my with my table what are we signing up for what are we going what what's the uh what's the experience going to be like what is andromeda
2: So I think with Andromeda, you're effectively getting um, one incredibly atmospheric night of science fiction play, like um, science fiction horror play. Um, The module is gorgeous. Um, We sell it with a um, UV light um, if you don't have one um, yourself, which means the whole thing's going to glow in the dark as you play. And uh, the module itself um, has this A3 out ship map, which is a um, beautiful centerpiece to play. And then um, within the adventure itself, um, you're going to be exploring the hub station andromeda i don't want to give away too many um spoilers
0: yeah uh, no spoilers but, in, course. but um mm-hmm.
2: you know um it's it's classic sci-fi there's a union dispute um gone wrong you hear a distress signal you're called in as a sort of unknown uh, horrors um are unleashed um in the bowels of the station and you have to start making some like tough um decisions with you and your uh, players as to how you're going to um approach this hot mess and deal with it uh, or whether you're just going to you know try to just escape with your lives or not
1: so we've got a few different factions in there obviously because of like you know the union dispute gone wrong and then you know other factors there's um there's a few different kind of i guess factions involved as well so as you sort of explore your way through it's the idea is kind of like look you know it's it's quite sandboxy in terms of the way it plays it's like um there are things that will happen and you will come across things and um uh, but it's very much that sort of osr emerging gameplay kind of thing right like you know um you could probably play it like 10 different times and the story would just play out differently every time because different things might happen um and you know sort of um uh people will appear in different places and um, things like that because a lot of it is kind of on tables essentially so
0: yeah i was going to ask uh, you meant like uh, with panty warning about no spoilers how would the replayability like once we've played through it and we have been a- introduced and we're a little spoiled maybe we go back as a as a group and we're playing it a second time now knowing a little more of what to expect there's still going to be twists thrown your way there's still going to be a randomness to yeah, the setting
1: like you'll you'll know you'll know i guess uh, you, you'll 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 figure out the big secrets, right? Like you know, um, uh, you'll know roughly kind of what everything is and where it is and what's going on. But, um, you know, obviously, it can still shake out in a different way. Um, but
2: yeah, and I think for a GM um who like runs um a lot of games for a lot of different groups um, like myself <laughs> um, yeah and i do tend to like like making products that i'm actually going to use yeah. for obvious reasons that i'd want to buy myself um and like every time you run this with a group it's going to play differently like maybe not if you run it for the exact same group but i think yeah, it still has some replay value there but when you run it for different groups it's going to run differently because as i said there's different factions there's this um sort of group of uh union miners there's the station crew um themselves and there's the uh aforementioned horrors as well as um a few other interesting bits and pieces like because we just tried to condense condense as and put as much like gameable content mm-hmm. in there as possible um given its um compact size. Yeah.
0: I did want to ask that when it comes to indie games if you're the one who buys the game you we we all know you're the one who's going to end up running the game. So what is it like as the GM um what is their experience going to be especially if maybe this is one of their first times running a game and and they're part of a gaming group and they, oh, this is really cool. I want to bring this to the table. What's it going to be like on their side, uh, on their side of the screen uh, running running Andromeda? Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, I think this is actually a pretty um, good one for a new GM because it's um, because it's such a like compact um, module, like you're not you've not got like a vast amount of information to um, take in. And um, whilst we've got a lot of twists and turns um, within there, the um, story is still like very like classic sci fi, you know, derelict um, hub station, like uh, a distress signal, what's going on. Um, it's, uh, it picks up on a lot of those tropes, you know. Yeah. Um, which means that uh, um running it, I think if you've never run like Mothership or um uh, like sci-fi or even if you've never run a game before, um it's gonna be a pretty good as uh, like an introductory um, thing.
0: I mean, if I'm running the alien RPG for my friends and they're big fans of the lore and I don't know what the heck I'm doing, it can be a little daunting only because that as great as that book is a good 100 pages of it are just on the setting and the world and you know if you're doing something more established like Dungeons and Dragons or or Vampire or that like there's so much if you really want to get into the history of those games and and the lore in those worlds whereas you know if you're playing an indie game like Andromeda or like Mothership It's so much more compact and so much easier to just get yourself up to speed, and no one else in the room is going to know. Yeah, either.
1: I think so. The other thing is, um, (laughs) because
0: no one correcting you,
1: you you kind of like you have to to a certain extent lean quite heavily into tropes with stuff like this because um, obviously, like the setup kind of is evocative of things like you know um, Alien or like um, uh, yeah, like Event Horizon, and um, you know sort those classic kind of like 70s, 80s, 90s kind of...
0: You need like to give the audience horror. what they want. Like, you can't you know, just keep it all hidden away.
1: Yeah, like and all those cues kind of like, yeah, they just kind of bring it straight to the fore, right? You don't have to have like 300 pages of background about the company that built the space station. Like no one cares. Like, you know, you're here now and like just, yeah, it's about your characters, not necessarily, um, you know, the whole world building. And then that's the other thing as well. When you set it on a space station and floating through the middle of space you know the world is very small so there's not much to build
0: <laughs> yeah and everything like everything outside that station literally will kill you yeah. and so there's this you're surrounded by this void and this lethality i find playing settings i mean that was one of the reasons why i think like the video game alien isolation was also yeah. so scary it's just you're not you're not safe here and you don't have anywhere to run to it's it's almost worse than being in a submarine in that like everything around you the whole environment is everything is trying to kill you um, Barely holding together and barely keeping you yeah. alive. Right. One of the uh, dead space, the, the necromorphs were terrifying, but so was the station itself yeah. that you were on as walls are blowing out and things are falling apart and power is going out. the station is only keeping you alive barely. Yeah. And there's that that threat that's always there that space is so hostile.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's um, well, it's that classic exploration of the unknown, like, um, yeah. D- like D&D um, in its original form, especially with the um, dungeon crawl, like I think that's why that was such like a, as it were, like a killer app for the um, game because it like self contained the adventure in a space that was like um, uh, that you couldn't necessarily like escape from, um, and but but had like walls and stuff that you could um, explore without getting too overwhelmed um, and then throwing that into space makes it even more terrifying because you can't decide to leave the station to just like explore the like stars because you're um you're you're often trapped there unless you've got a spaceship but um yeah so
1: (laughs) then who's to say that that's not been damaged or sabotaged or uh any number of uh useful and uh oft used um plot points
2: exactly yeah Yeah. so um yeah it um it ramps up again to that like real horror level like it takes that um that claustrophobic setting and then just like yeah yeah, one
1: one thing we've one thing we've not actually mentioned um uh you were asking before about mothership and you know one of the how it does horror so well so i'm not sure if you're aware of this or if your listeners are but um mothership also has a stress system built into it um which we hadn't mentioned so um uh yeah obviously the the stress system is specifically designed to ratchet this up so doing certain things or having certain things happen to you gives you stress and, um, if you, I mean, if you accumulate enough of it, you can literally just die of a heart attack. Um, like you can just die from stress or you go catatonic or, um, uh, you, you know, your character can just go insane and start shooting up his friends. Um, and it's, it's that stress system, um, which, um, freely put in a very similar system in alien as well. Um, you know, they, they, they work really well, um, in, in that regard.
0: Sure. In the movies in, in just in the alien movies, the threat isn't the monster as much as the other people yeah, that apart, are there right, with right. you who aren't listening to the quarantine and aren't listening to yeah. orders. And they're all, they all have different ideas of how to get out. They've all got their own different agendas and they all start. There's a there's moment usually in like the second act where they, Go against yeah. each other and uh, almost wipe each other out before they all have to rally for the final yeah. for the final push. Whoever survives that, uh, as
1: as they say, you don't see the aliens fucking themselves over for a goddamn percentage. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry, I love that movie, and I will quote it. So, uh, <laughs> I should probably stop. We'll get like a copyright strike or something because you know uh, it's using too much of it.
0: I would be thrilled if this. Ranky Dink podcast got a season and desist one day. I would hang that on my wall. Uh, Andromeda. <laughs> Andromeda's on Kickstarter. It got funded in two hours. Congratulations. It is still currently on Kickstarter at the time that we're releasing this. So there's time for you to visit through that. The link is going to be in the show notes. So for the Kickstarter side of Andromeda, uh, how has that gone? What have we got to look forward to? What are you hoping to accomplish and like, what's the roadmap here for for Andromeda for 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 those of us who are who are backing this project?
2: Um, so yeah, I mean, we've done um, like yeah, beyond our uh, beyond our wildest dreams in terms of success um, for the um, kickstart. Yeah,
0: congratulations. Considering
2: um, considering we're pretty um, like small, was it the first thing that we've um, done as a company. It's had a um, really strong response, which we're really happy with, and obviously we're really thankful um, for all our backers um, so far and i um, really happy with that. And um, because of that success, um, we're at the moment, actually, um, first time we've talked about this, um, we're um, collaborating, I'm not gonna name too many names, but we're um, collaborating with a few other people at the moment to hopefully um, add some um, extra um, add-ons to the um, Kickstarter, um, some like a little bit of extra um, content for um, everyone involved um which is going to be like part of our plan um but mostly we're just hoping to um successfully um fund it and uh, send, it our, uh, send it to all our send it to our lovely backers
1: yeah. <laughs> i just i just really want to see it in print because i think you know once it's on that embossed paper with the fluorescent group I, I i just i just want i like making things i like having that finished product in hand like you know um so i'm just really excited for that there, there are yeah some other add-ons that we're looking on as well um from there then um we've got a few other things that we're launching we've got um uh, we've got another pamphlet out at the moment which is an old school uh pamphlet called uh, isle of glaslin Um there is more in that vein uh, to come uh soon and um then we've also got another our top secret super super special project which um uh, we can't really discuss at the moment.
0: We'll have you but back when you're ready to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, that, that's going to be later on this year.
2: So there will be a nod to that in um, Andromeda. There for, is. Actually, uh, the yeah. wily-eyed people are going to be hunting our Easter eggs out.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, certainly in the past year, you know, virtual gaming has become like the only way. But <laughs> I still love a good physical copy on yep. on my bookshelf. Some something new that I can have that is. Uh, uh, as much to play as it is to display and to show what other people and, and show something really wild. And this does look really wild. Uh, this, uh, the, these, uh, these pictures that you've shared.
1: That, that, that backside is, is all player facing information. There's no GM information on that side. So, you know, it's like, as I've, I've played obviously lots of stuff before and I've run lots of stuff before, but, um, I, one thing that really, really bothers me is when you have some really beautiful illustration or some really lovely map, and um, it's all keyed, covered in for me. You can't show it to the players. And you're just kind of yeah. like, you know, if, if I'm going to have something, I want I want everyone to see it. Like, it's you're, this really you're nice thing. The of the you're table, like, you picking know? things up and
0: you're like, you see this yeah, much that, as you're covering section. your hands at the top and the bottom and you're trying to not get your thumb in the way. Yeah. There, that face, that's what you see. Or you've all got right, like a million... else you're not allowed to know yet.
1: A million sheets of A4 and you're kind of shuffling <laughs> them around as you're showing areas of the dungeon, right? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I like just sort of like, putting it all out there and um that's oh yeah kind it of- kills
0: me as a gm if i have so much of this amazing material but it's all restricted to my side of the table and i can't share yep. it and mm. i can't show you and i can't tell you I, I i don't want to be the magician who doesn't share their secrets i want you to know what's going on in my head so that we can all work together at this
1: yeah, um,
2: exactly. Yeah. And I think, I mean, as a company, I think we put a um, premium on like physical products. Andromeda is very much a physical product. There is a digital edition of it you can get, but I like ultimately we want people playing it, um, you know, in person in that glow in the dark UV, um, uh, beautiful, um, shininess. Yeah. Um, and I think it also fits the sort of um, osr um games that we um, produce. Because um, they tend to like uh, be games where you're, uh like the gym doesn't tend to use a screen. Um, that's a, that's a, well as a point of discussion within the community. But a lot yeah. it's a, it encourages a lot of open play, a lot of rolling dice in the open, and a lot of having material um, in the open. And a lot yeah. of our products um, reflect that as well, like um, like the Isle of Glaslyn as well. Which is um,
1: yeah. So this is a this is a similar thing um, again. So for 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 the listeners, um, it's a similar thing to Andromeda. It folds up the same way, um, but it's designed to basically fold in the middle so when it sits on the table um it's kind of half of the information is visible to the players and then the other half is visible to just the gm so it kind of folds to make a kind of um impromptu gm screen if you like um with player facing information on one side and then gm facing information on the uh, other that's side so clever.
0: It, it, it's like a little pop-up book it comes up in the middle
1: Exactly, and
0: yeah. uh, rather than uh, standing it like a like a traditional screen where you might have an image or words on one side and then on the other, yeah, uh, that's really cool. That's really and then fun. It folds away
1: into like its little booklet form as well, with then all yeah, the yeah,
0: just fits in your booklet.
1: so you know this into is into
0: your binder or your backpack that you brought it everything in.
1: Yes, yeah, so, I mean you know we kind of feel like these are the sorts of things you know take it down to a con like you know run it super simple and easy. You know you don't have like you know massive books to carry or anything like that. So chuck it in your pocket and grab some dice and go, you know, and, um, uh, so yeah. Um, but I think we're kind of quite focused on making interesting, usable, gameable products that, you know, um, are efficient, I think. Um, but also look nice and give you something to put on the table and put in front of people and sort of say, Hey, look, you know, um, you get to see this and, um, you know, this is as much for the players to use as the GM, almost really.
0: Alad, Penny, where can we follow up with each of you and with Leyline Press and with Andromeda? Give us the plugs. Let us know where it's going to go. And of course, check the show notes, listener. And that's where they're all going to be if you want to follow up on uh, all of these uh, products that they keep talking about, these exciting future of playable games that we uh, all miss doing right now. So <laughs>
1: um, so yeah, um, our website is uh, Um So super easy. Um, and then I need Panny to tell you the socials because I don't remember what they are and Panny set them up <laughs> first. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, I mean, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at Leyline, uh Press. Um, Facebook and Instagram are also at Leyline Press. Um, and uh, you can find the Kickstarter uh, simply by searching uh, Andromeda on Kickstarter at the moment, or you can go to, uh, like, projects forward slash uh, Leyline hyphen press uh, forward slash Andromeda. Yeah.
1: Um. Personally, you can find me on Twitter at Aled Lawler, mm-hmm. um, which is just my personal account. Um, you're mostly just going to see probably pictures of my rats on there because um, I have pet rats. Excellent. And, um, yeah, that's about it. But, and- uh,
2: yeah, um, you can find me um, at panny underscore uh, lines, and you can find my uh, wild hot RPG takes. <laughs> Shit posting on uh
1: Yeah, it's all, it's all memes, really. It's not it? yeah. the personal account. We try and restrict that to there
2: so we don't get in trouble. Occasionally blog posts and other things. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, we might not know what goes bump in the dark because you don't want to. Spoil it with us, but we do know it glows in the dark <laughs> with Andromeda.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this has been um, very we, exciting. We, we Thank do you for to, reaching out. We do have to specify, though, it doesn't actually glow in the dark. It's um, it's fluorescent, it, not phosphorus. fluorescent. <laughs> it reflects but,
0: uh, a, a UV light in yeah. low lighting settings, and it will appear to your eyes the it illusion glow the of dark. glowing. Yes, um, absolutely. But... Yeah. Uh, um. uh, uh, it was the only thing I could think of with Bump in the Dark. I had this whole uh, pun working in my head, yeah, but like, I uh, and it, had to I? correct the record <laughs> and do that because it's their business and I don't want to mess with it.
1: Yeah, so I was like trading standards brain kicked in and I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, but you know, seriously, guys, though, it doesn't glow in the dark. If you're buying this... In point of can... note. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a tabletop discussion if we didn't have a little bit of rules lawyering right yeah, at
1: the end. Uh, actually, yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Justin.
0: Thanks again to Penny and Alad from Leyline Press for sharing their story today. Their Kickstarter is happening right now, and there's still time to jump in and support this really interesting game. Check the show notes for a link. Let them know the Terrible Warrior sent you. We will return on Tuesday with the next episode in our ongoing Symbarome series, Part 2, The Theft of the Sunstone. But if you don't want to wait until then, you can head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash warriors right now and listen to episode two before the general public. Yes, you can spend the weekend listening to our excellent cast of players as they work to track down the thief who's stolen the only thing that will keep them alive if the weather up in the Titans were to turn on them. We're also giving away a free digital copy of Symbarome, which you can learn more about by visiting TerribleWarriors.com or following us on Twitter at DiceWarriors. And until we meet again, chasing and being chased through snowy mountain peaks on the way to the promised land of Ambria, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting independent game creators and independent podcasters. Thank you for being a terrible warrior. Until next time, be good to each other.